0: Welcome to Frontline Church, South OKC's podcast, where each week we upload a new sermon from our sermon series. If you have any questions or concerns or need prayer for anything, feel free to reach out at hello at frontlinechurch.com.
1: Thank you. The scripture for today's sermon comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. The word of God speaks to us. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is God's word
0: to us. Awesome, amen. Thanks, Heather. Guys, good morning, how are you? Good, it's, uh, it's so good to be with you. It's always good for my soul to get to worship at Frontline South, and uh, one of the things that's a huge blessing in just getting to be here for a week has been experiencing evidences of grace that I actually wanna start praying that you guys could give away to other churches and congregations. Uh, Wednesday night, to see the earnestness of the moms and dads that want to humbly sit under God's word and be shaped as parents that love their kids according to truth, that was such a gift to my soul. And the sincere devotion to Jesus that I see in your leaders, that I see in your members, and just the pervasive sense of humility that's found in this congregation. Um, The way that your elders and deacons want to keep growing and want to keep learning and want to keep loving All those things have been a gift to me and I'm just praying that the things that you guys are stewarding, the things that God's planted into this church by his grace, that you guys would not only enjoy those things and grow in those things, but that you guys would be mindful that God might give you opportunities to give those things away. To share those with other churches and other leaders and to open your doors and the same kind of hospitality that you guys practice week in and week out for members of the church and as we've got to enjoy that hospitality, uh, I'm just longing that this would be a church that actually opens its doors more and more to the whole city. So I want to pray for you. You guys pray for me and if you got a Bible, you can find Proverbs chapters 8 and 9 and we'll get there in just a second. Father, I love this church, and uh, there's so many people in this room that I've known for over a decade, and there's people that I just met today, but I'm mindful that you're working all across the room, and I pray today as we open your word that you would feed us, that you would protect us, that we would be bolstered against the lies of the world. God, I pray that You would increase joy and obedience at the same time in a way that the world would find baffling. Pray that we would love you more and that we would follow you with all of our hearts. I pray, Jesus, that places that today feel like grudging obedience would tomorrow feel like delightful worship. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage folks that are discouraged today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would Wake us up to your glory, wake us up to your kingdom, wake us up to your kindness, and meet us. We pray all this for your glory, through your finished work, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, so today we're gonna talk about the why behind what we're doing in our groups in counterformation. And over the course of the last 15 years, as frontline churches planted more churches, There are a lot of things that we do to love and serve connected church plants that are fruitful but not fun. There's a lot of places we go as a leadership community that are not places that you would want to put on your calendar for vacation. And uh, there are many things that we've done to love and serve other churches that feel like work even though it's good work and fruitful work. But there's some things that God's enabled us to do over the course of the last decade in particular that are both fruitful and super fun. And one of the most beautiful things that I've been able to be a part of in the last five years has been this amazing collaboration between two sister churches in North Carolina. Uh, Donnie Griggs is one of my best friends. He's the lead pastor of a church in Moorhead City. And then John Murphy is the lead pastor of Frontline Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And for about five or six years, we've been collaborating to do this men's discipleship and leadership development campout in the Outer Banks on an uninhabited island. And this thing like literally checks every box for what I want to do with my life. It's a combination of spearfishing during the day, feeding guys tons of delicious meat, being in salt water, camping on the beach, and seeing Jesus totally transform dudes' lives. Um, We've seen unbelievable guys from all kinds of backgrounds be arrested with the glory of God. Guys from Fort Bragg that are in special forces and commercial fishermen, blue-collar guys and white-collar guys. It's been amazing. There was a camp out a few years ago where something really interesting happened. On that camp out, there was a dude that had spent no time in the ocean. This was a landlocked fella, hadn't been in saltwater, and he took, for one of the afternoon breaks, he took the community paddle board out for a paddle in the Atlantic. Fair enough, that's great, that's why we brought it. But an hour went by, and the guy had completely disappeared. And we're thinking, well, it's just an hour, I'm sure he's fine, he'll be all right. Then two hours hit, then three hours hit, and we were all in emergency rescue mode. We started combing the beach, and there's nobody else out there, so we're walking up and down about two miles of beach, calling the guy's name, looking for the paddleboard, looking for him. And a couple of the guys decided to go to the far north end of the island where the current was getting pushed to see if they could find this guy. And they got to the north end of the island, and they looked out, and about 500 yards off the coast, there was a tiny little speck, and that speck was this dude laying down, totally asleep on his paddleboard. Now, the next stop for this brother was Nova Scotia. He literally was getting swept out to sea, no radio, no water, no idea what the heck he was doing. And I tell you that story because, one, like, don't be that guy if you go to the beach. And, and two, because that's actually a really profound picture of what happens in the life of the people of God when we don't care about our formation. You don't have to do anything radical to drift away from the things of God. And over the course of the last five years, the thing that's grieved me more than people wrestling intellectually with the claims of the world and walking away from Jesus, the thing that's grieved me even more than that has been seeing again and again men and women go to sleep on the board and simply get swept out into the sea of worldly ideology, not loving Jesus, having their affections deadened to the things of God, the slow drift that doesn't come from waking up one day and deciding to be Buddhist, or waking up one day and deciding that you're gonna start shooting up black tar heroin, but the slow drift that simply happens when we stop putting our paddle in the water by actually talking to Jesus. Engaging in spiritual formation in community, attending church with the people of God, confessing our sin to other women, to other men. And so today, in the life of our church, as we start this counterformation module, we simply wanna come alongside you guys to elevate the faith of our church, certainly for the extraordinary moments of transformation that we love. Like, we love it that God does the miracle of the new birth. It's the greatest miracle any of us get to see. It's huge, and we should never get bored by crazily celebrating when people come to faith, when dead people are born again. That's amazing. I want to celebrate the extraordinary things that God does subsequent, subsequent to conversion, that God brings massive encounters with his presence where there's tears and weeping and sometimes visions and dreams and prophetic words that reshape the course of our life. I love the big stuff, amen? But what we're doing with counterformation is a simple recognition that it's not just the extraordinary things that God does to help us move against the flow of culture, it's also simply the ordinary things that don't look very sexy. It's building habits and rhythms of opening God's word to meet with Him. And gathering with the people of God and prioritizing spiritual friendship and learning how to be shaped by disciplines that slowly and incrementally move us to be a bit more reflective of the character and beauty of Jesus. And the reason that we do this and the reason that our pastors are so burdened to help you as we engage in counterformation is because the world is both complex and dangerous. It's a complex world. You're not gonna make sense of our world with bumper sticker theologies and ideologies. And it's a dangerous world. It's a world where there's traps and there's snares and there's enemies. It's a world that wants to devour your faith and gobble you up and leave you in chains. And in the midst of trying to navigate a world that's both complex and dangerous, the Bible's really clear that you and me are sinful human beings. We're prone to believe lies We're prone to wander away from the truth. We're people that swim in a water that's dangerous and we're people that actually have the imprint of worldliness in our flesh. To believe the primary ideology of this world which simply says to thy own self be true, just follow your own heart, is a guarantee that you're gonna end up in places that don't look like truth and beauty and depth and eternity, it will leave you in a place that'll be a cave of self-adoration and self-consumption, and the worst thing that that belief will lead you to is eventually having to look at the glory and splendor of God and give an account for a life that's been wasted. So today, what I want to do is help you understand the why behind counterformation. Why do spiritual disciplines matter? And why does spiritual friendship matter? And why should we be intentional with opening God's word to hear from them? And I want, you to, I want to give you a different lens for thinking of taking responsibility for your formation. And the lens that I want to give you comes from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs tells us that there's two great ladies that are always talking to us. They're two great ladies that are inviting us over for dinner every single day of our lives. They've prepared food for you. They've mixed wine for you. The door of their house is open. They're calling aloud in the street for us to come in and dine. And the first great lady is known as Lady Folly. Lady Folly. Take your Bible, look at Proverbs chapter 9. Let's talk about Lady Folly's invitation. The Bible tells us, first of all, that Lady Folly is always talking loudly She's loud and she's boisterous, and she's always easy for us to hear. Look at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She makes a seat in the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she invites them to dine. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting. Lady Folly is actually easier to hear than Lady Wisdom. Lady Folly speaks really loudly, and she has two strategic advantages in a broken, sinful world. First of all, Lady Folly speaks the native tongue of our language. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 tells us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, I've met people in our church that are really good at languages, Uh, you've studied foreign languages, and one of the marks of becoming fluent in a foreign language is that you start to dream in that language. It's an amazing thing to study a language until it's so in your mind and in your heart that you actually can dream in that language. I've never experienced that. Uh, I took Russian in high school for a year. It was one of those classes that was taught by a baseball coach. Nobody expected any learning to happen in the classroom, and no learning did happen in the classroom. Now, the point of all this is that learning the language of Lady Wisdom is like learning a foreign language, but knowing the language of Lady Folly doesn't take any effort for you to practice. She speaks the language that we embody in our sinfulness, and not only does she speak the language that we naturally understand, but she also has the technological high ground. Lady Folly's voice was really loud when the book of Proverbs was written, I would argue that her voice has been further amplified through the pervasive technologies that speak her message all the time. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not anti-technology, like we're not looking for a property in Midwest City so that we can start a compound, make our own clothes, churn our own butter as a church. Um, technology can be a blessing and it can be a way that we actually commune with Lady Wisdom, but all day long, 24-7, what you have in your phone, what you have in your computer, what you have through the various ways that we stream the message of the world is the voice of Lady Folly constantly speaking and inviting you to eat with her. She's loud and she's clear. She's loud and she's clear. And the problem is, in the midst of her being loud and clear, she's incredibly seductive. Look at verse 13. The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive. She is seductive. Lady Folly is really attractive. Lady Folly's words drip with honey. Lady Folly always tells us what we want to hear and she never tells us no. And the language of Lady Folly, especially in our particular moment, is really good at crafting a story inside of our heads and our hearts where we believe that we are the center of everything and we're simultaneously, according to Lady Folly, both hero and victim in every scenario. We're the hero, it's all about us and the world exists to cater to us and serve us and bend to us and at the very same time, we're the victim of every interaction that doesn't go well with us. Lady Folly loves to speak sweet words that we like to chew on in our soul because it actually affirms the very lie that Adam and and Eve believed in the beginning that we are our own God. I want you to think for a second about the ways in which Lady Folly speaks and, and what she's selling. Like, she never tells us that if we follow her advice, we're going to destroy our marriages and blow up our families and end up destitute. She always promises things that she can't deliver that sound incredible. The number of times in the course of our church where we've had a man in our church in a marriage that wasn't thriving who actually just had somebody that was a coworker or a friend start to pay special attention to him. And Lady Folly stepped into that situation to actually affirm that he's the hero of his own story. He's entitled to whatever he wants. He's entitled to the kind of sexual fulfillment and adoration and worship of a god. And that he's a victim of a loveless marriage, fueling in his mind this entire fantasy world in which the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Now, the thing that's wild about that narrative, and you can apply it to any temptation that our flesh wants to run after, it always seems like it's gonna end in more beauty, more joy, more delight. It's like Lady Folly says, follow the Lord, and everything's gonna be drab and gray. Follow me, and it's all technicolor. It'll be beautiful, it'll be feasting, it'll be joy. But the problem is, Lady Folly is not only loud and seductive, The Bible tells us she's actually stupid. She's stupid, look at verse 13. The woman Folly is loud, she is seductive, and she knows nothing. The problem with Lady Folly is that her advice cuts against the grain of the cosmos, her math doesn't work. You can't seek revenge and end up being a joyful person. You can't violate the covenant of marriage and that lead to more beauty and depth in your relationships. You can't be be an unrestrained hedonist and end up being a really happy, healthy, generous grandparent. Lady Folly's invitation always sounds amazing because it centers my foolishness, but it always leads to a place of being incongruent with the fabric of the cosmos that God has designed to reflect his righteousness and his character. And the problem with Lady Folly is that she's not only stupid, it's not like she gives bad advice and we follow and it doesn't really work out and it's a bad Tuesday. The problem with Lady Folly is that she's actually a mass murderer. She has stacked more bodies under her table than malaria. Look at verse 18. The one that hears her invitation does not know that the dead are there, that her her guests are in the depths of Sheol or the grave. Pause with me for just a second. The invitation of Lady Folly is always present in our lives. It's present outside of us. It's present inside of us. But the good news of Scripture is that there's a voice that's also speaking. It's a voice that requires linguistic skills to learn her language and to tune our ears to her her words. But her words are actually profoundly beautiful. It's not just Lady Folly, it's also Lady Wisdom that calls to the simple and foolish. This is great news. Look at Proverbs 8 1 through 5. It says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Now look at verse 5. This is God's grace. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. The good news of the invitation of Lady Wisdom is that she doesn't just speak to the wise or she would never have a conversation. Lady Wisdom actually speaks to fools. She speaks to the simple. This is an evidence of God's mercy and grace that the voice of Lady Wisdom is actually projected into the world inviting those that are destroying their lives living ways in ways that are incongruent with God's glory and nature to come and learn, to come and learn. One of the things I love about what God's doing in our church and what he's done for the last 18 years is that we certainly have people that show up simply because they're curious to learn about Jesus or God's already worked spiritual hunger in their lives, and that's amazing. But one of the things that happens again and again, week in and week out in our church, is that we have people show up And I've been this person in my life. We have people show up who have dined with Lady Folly and she's left them destitute and at the end of themselves. They've destroyed their relationships, they've destroyed their health, they've followed Lady Folly down the path of greed and they've become distant from their own soul and in that place of darkness they get to the end of themselves as they're actually in the dust and ashes of self-destruction. God starts to do this work to draw people to actually hear the voice of wisdom and truth to experience the restoration that happens at Lady Wisdom's table. We've seen We've seen God restore marriages and families and bodies and minds. Because Lady Wisdom calls to the simple. In addition, Lady Wisdom speaks noble things. Look at verse 6. Here and I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Uh, we don't really think that much about the idea of nobility. Uh, it brings to mind for a lot of us all the things that we hate about England. But The ancient idea of nobility is actually really profound, it's deep and it's powerful. The idea of nobility is the idea of character and depth that's not just for your own benefit, but it's actually for the blessing and benefit of others. And the heart of the entire book of Proverbs is that the wise men of Israel wanted to train Young noblemen, in the kind of wisdom that was needed to not bring reproach on themselves and reproach on Israel, it was the kind of nobility where if they acquired wisdom and lived according to wisdom, they would actually be able to be a shelter in the midst of storms for the people that they led. And what's amazing about God, including this book in the canon of Scripture, is that part of your calling that Jesus came to fully restore is the calling to actually be a steward over the realm that God's given you. Like Adam and Eve, you've been called to actually bring order and beauty in the midst of chaos to actually take dominion over that which belongs to God to have a stewardship for the blessing and the benefit of your field. And for some of us, your field might be really small. For some of you guys, your field is really big. But the voice of Lady Wisdom is this call to men and women, and we'll see how it's connected to the good news of the gospel in just a second, but it's this call to men and women to actually cultivate the kind of nobility where you can provide shade for for God's people and those that he's brought to you. This week, as we did the parenting conference, Um, we had almost 200 people in this room that are trying to cultivate the kind of biblical nobility where you could be a shade and a shelter to your kids for generations. One of the things that's happened in the course of the last 10 years in our church is we've gotten a little older and we've gotten a little better by God's grace at doing family discipleship and loving and serving moms and dads is that people in our church are actually trying to figure out what does it look like to let legacies of selfishness and entitlement end with them to forgive mom and dad and to actually have new gospel legacies where you're praying for and believing that God would reach kids and grandkids and even great-grandkids. Nobility is about nobility is about the complete opposite of entitlement. It's about giving your life away. And if you want a picture of what nobility really looks like, just go to Proverbs 31 and read that over the course of the next week. Proverbs 31 is not a stick to beat women with. It's not like, here's all the ways that you don't stack up, you suck at being a mom and a wife. Proverbs 31 is a picture of the kind of nobility that God wants his daughters to walk in, where they actually are a courageous blessing and benefit to those that God has connected them with. She speaks words of nobility. And she also, this is amazing, she also utters truth. She utters truth, look at verse seven. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And One of the reasons that it's easier to believe and follow the voice of Lady Folly than Lady Wisdom is because the words of Lady Wisdom are bracing. They're bracing. If you've ever jumped into a swimming pool thinking that it was warm and it was freezing cold and everything in you wanted to immediately climb out of the pool, That's what truth feels like often when Lady Wisdom speaks it. It's against the grain of entitlement. It's against the grain of the narrative that we're the hero or the victim. Her truth that she speaks actually requires the kind of work and sobriety that demands that we do repentance to actually line up with ways in which we've been bent according to the ways of the world. Scripture tells us that one of the marks of sin is that we call that which is crooked straight and that which is straight crooked. And the reason it's hard for us to actually sit down and have dinner with Lady Wisdom is that she actually is contradicting some of the things that we believe result in beauty, but actually have no beauty whatsoever because beauty and truth are always married. Beauty and truth always go hand in hand. She speaks words of truth. And the reason that her words are true is because Lady Wisdom's words are righteous. They're righteous, look at verse eight. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Her words are righteous because they correspond to the nature of God. Now I I want you to do some work with me here. Lady Folly's problem is that she actually is speaking against the grain of the cosmos. Her math doesn't line up with the way that God has ordered the moral workings of the universe. And the reason that Lady Wisdom actually utters righteousness that's congruent with the grain of the universe is because God has created all things to give us a picture and a glimpse of his character. Her words are righteous because they don't just line up with the way that God has ordered things to work. The way that God has ordered things to work actually points to the character and nature of God. The righteousness of God is that there's nothing shadowing in him. There's nothing twisted in him. There's nothing bent in him. And the words of Lady Wisdom are righteous because they actually point to the beauty and nature of God who is perfect and holy and glorious. See, here's the deal. Um, The problem with lust, the problem with lust is not just that lust has a horizontal dynamic that kind of like reduces other image bearers into objects and us into consumers. I mean, that's true, and that's destructive, and the Bible names that. But the deeper problem with lust, if you take one step back, is that the love of God is not a devouring love, it's not an objectifying love, it is a self-giving love that actually humanizes and dignifies those that he loves. The problem with unforgiveness is not just that it's against the grain of a therapeutic culture and it's bad for your own health to be bitter. I mean, it's true that if you wanna poison yourself, just become a bitter, unforgiving person. But the deeper problem with unforgiveness is that it's incongruent with the righteousness of God, that God actually delights in forgiving his enemies. The problem with a life of greed and spending your health and spending your time as a workaholic that thinks that more money is actually gonna fulfill you is that it's incongruent with the righteousness of God who is in himself the fountainhead of all delight and all beauty and all goodness. Her words are righteous because they simply reflect what is ultimately true, what is eternally true, and that's the very nature and character of God himself. And ladies, lady wisdom's instructions because of that are priceless. Look at chapter 8 verses 10 and 11. She says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Lady Wisdom loves to reward those that dine at her table. And and it's true in a sense that some of her rewards actually are temporal, right? Like she's gonna speak about working hard because if you learn to work hard and be a good steward, typically things will go better with your life down in this world right? Um, She's going to speak about being quick to hear and slow to speak because usually that's going to result in better relationships. Amen? But there's something deeper about the pricelessness of true wisdom. It's not just that things always go better because to follow lady wisdom might mean that you're going to have to walk in the kind of integrity that could result in you losing a job. Following the voice of lady wisdom might result in And you realizing that in your dating pool, there aren't people that are serious about walking with Jesus. And that you actually defer some of your longings for a relationship to walk the path of wisdom. Sometimes her words actually are really costly. But the pricelessness of her words is that it actually invites us to the kind of formation and shaping that doesn't just last throughout the course of our 70, 80, 90 years, the thing that's beautiful about her words is that they actually line up with what God's doing to actually shape you for all eternity. To be the kind of person that's gonna outlast the sun and the moon and the stars. So here's what I wanna do as we close today. I wanna ask the most important question. Like, if it's true that We're sort of hardwired to hear the voice of Lady Folly. That's our natural language, and it's really difficult to discern and speak with Lady Wisdom and to dine at her table. How do we respond to her words? How do we become the kind of people that see her instruction as priceless and dine with her? And there's a lot of things we could talk about, but the heart of it in the wisdom literature is found in Proverbs 9, verse 10. How do we grow in wisdom, and how do we develop the language tools to speak with wisdom? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this can be a really difficult thing for us to wrap our heads around. Like, how do you square fearing God and also John the Beloved telling us that perfect love casts out fear? Doesn't that feel a little bit confusing? What does it mean to fear God? Does it mean that we shrink from him or run from him? Does it mean that we sort of see God as like a cosmic cop that's waiting for an excuse to blast us? What is the fear of the Lord? And the fear of the Lord has a lot of different dynamics. Like certainly part of the fear of the Lord is not wanting to disobey and displease our Father knowing that he disciplines all his sons and daughters in love. Uh, We just read 1 Corinthians. God is so committed to lovingly disciplining his kids that there's even times in the Bible where he kills people to preserve their souls. And that's true and that's right and that's good but the fear of the Lord is actually something even more fundamental than that. The fear of the Lord is being captured with the beauty of God in such a way that you stand in awe and wonder and the greatest longing of your heart is to know him and have him and be with him. The fear of the Lord in the language of poetry is better as one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. The fear of the Lord is not just sort of making sure that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's. The fear of the Lord is not just sort of dead religious ritualism. The fear of the Lord is when you're captured with the vision of God where you realize that he is the only source of goodness, beauty, and truth, and to be with him and to know him is what your soul needs to flourish, The fear of the Lord is this place where you can say with the psalmist, hey, I would rather have a little bit of bread in the presence of the living God than to have the delicacies of a king and not know him. The fear of the Lord is when you get to this place where you would actually rather know and follow Jesus into the wilderness and hear his voice and know what it's like to abide in his love than to be prospered beyond all measure in this world, and to actually stare into the void of not knowing the perfect, beautiful, holding love of God. The fear of God, the fear of God is how lady wisdom preaches Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the wisdom of God, and the fear of the Lord that Lady Wisdom is preaching points to Jesus in every way, and it actually can be summed up with the earliest Christian confession that's just three, three words. What is the fear of the Lord? It's to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The fear of the Lord looks like saying, hey Jesus, not my will but yours be done. I trust you, Jesus, I actually believe that the narrow road is better than the wide road. I'm gonna follow you there. The fear of the Lord is this place where you can say to Jesus, you're king and I'm not. It's your chair, not my chair. The fear of the Lord is to say to Jesus, you're actually better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fear of the Lord is getting to a place where we can grow slowly over time, and by the way, we'll never do this perfectly until we see him, but we can grow over the course of the next 12 months in saying to Jesus, hey, what do you want? Wisdom is saying to Jesus, what do you want here? And here's the thing that's wild. Jesus is really honest that his will will include bearing a cross Jesus is really honest that his will will often take you to places you'd rather not go. Jesus is really honest that his will will lead you to places where you'll bear a bit of his reproach and people will mock you and think you're a fool. But here's the thing. The heartbeat of why Jesus came is not just so that you would bear a cross and bear reproach and go through suffering and difficulty. The heartbeat of Jesus is that he came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The life of Jesus in the midst of bearing a cross is better than what the world says life is in the midst of comfort and ease. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, is actually having our hearts rewired to realize that He's ultimate and everything else is at best secondary. As we engage counterformation and talk about identity, what we're naming, is that Lady Folly is constantly wanting to cook you a meal and talk to you about who you are. Self-authoring your own life. Buying into identity politics and enmity between men and women and between different races. Lady Folly, Lady Folly wants you to constantly be comparing yourself to others. and like, like Lady Folly is probably the actual CEO of most social media platforms. <laughs> So that you can can constantly be on the treadmill of self-authoring and then self-curating and projecting your identity to the world in an exhausting, soul-crushing, never-ending race to try to stack up. But the fear of the Lord when it comes to identity is actually getting to this place that we have to rehearse again and again and again and again that the truest thing about you That certainly, there's a lot of dynamics to your identity. Your gender's part of that. Uh, Your culture's part of that. Your background's part of that. Your job's part of that. But the truest thing about you, the most fundamental thing about you, the thing that you want to build your entire life on as a follower of Jesus is that what he says about you is what defines you. What he says about you. Which means you don't have to spend the next 10 years trying to be in some weird beauty pageant of pleasing everybody because if you have the approval and yes of the living God then you're free to actually be rejected as you follow him. You're free to forgive. You're free to shake things off. You're free to keep short accounts. So as we dive in over the course of the next couple of months in our community groups and talk about identity, what we're talking about is the ways in which Lady Wisdom is inviting us to actually know Jesus more deeply, (laughs) to have our lives reshaped, to not be against the grain of the cosmos, but to actually be in line with the grain of the cosmos because it's created by a God, and he actually wants your life to be more reflective and more lined up with all that is true and beautiful about who he is. Can I pray for you? Father, there's a thousand different ways that my heart is pulled to believe the lies of Lady Folly, that Jesus is holding out, that the narrow road doesn't lead to joy, that I'm entitled to revenge or self protection. And I just pray for myself and for my friends that we would come back again to the most fundamental truth in all of creation. Jesus is Lord and he's actually beautiful. And I pray Lord Jesus as we as we seek to put our paddles in the water and go against the flow, against the current of a culture that denies your glory and speaks in the language of folly. I pray Lord that you would help us to be men and women that are vigilant God, we ask for extraordinary grace in our church. We ask for conversions. We ask for visions and dreams and prophetic words. We ask for seasons of revival where you just like literally, you literally turn our guts upside down. But we also pray for those ordinary practices, habits, and disciplines that incrementally help us to grow a bit over the course of 12 months in following Jesus. I bless your work in this church. I pray that you would feed us as we come to this meal and lead us out of this place today with uh, the aroma of Jesus Christ more in our lives. Amen.